Jennifer Zapparelli. Weekday morning from 9 on 2FM. Let's do it. Warning. The following item is not recommended for little ears. Because it's time for a dose of sex therapy with Rachel Cook. Okay, that means it is sex therapy time and as always, a little ears warning on this one for the next few minutes. But remember, you can catch this chat on our podcast after the show. This week, we're going to look at just two emails, okay? Uh, two emails from listeners because they're both fairly big topics and our resident sex and relationship therapist, Rachel Cook, is ready to roll. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Jen. How's it going? Good, good. We're only going to focus on two today. Is that Okay. I like the idea of this, doing a couple of longer ones, getting into a bit more detail about yeah, it. Yeah, because you never have time because we normally get so many, but these are quite meaty topics. I'll, I'll give you the first email. It says, um, so my husband loves to cuddle and I don't. He also loves doing the deed, but I'm just exhausted all the time. We only usually get to do it once a week at a push. And to be honest, I'd be fine without it. He is always at me, gripping me, touching me, etc., etc. Even when I'm cooking the dinner, I'll get a grope, lol. I usually don't mind that kind of stuff, but the waking me up really gets to me. I'm always asleep first uh, because I go to bed with a four-year-old who also always wants a cuddle. I feel by the time my husband gets to bed, I just want space. I have three kids. And I'm always on the go. Our nighttime routine consists of he comes in, lifts the baby into his own bed, and then he comes into bed and always wakes me for a cuddle. Then during the night, he'll wake me up to cuddle him. I just want me time. I never get it. Should I be concerned? Am I being a bitch by giving out about it? Oh, I am feeling for this person along with, I'm sure, almost, you know, certainly a a high percentage of common. Uh, <laughs> it sounds it common, is yeah. Still astoundingly common. And we have talked about this uh, to some degree many, many times before, Jen. I know we've done this. It comes up almost every week to some degree this concept of being touched out yes. from being around kids all day. Uh, the fact that that load tends still to be borne by women in heterosexual relationships or whoever has borne the baby, whatever the genders are of the people in a relationship. But, you know, especially when you have young children, they're going to be hanging out of you. They're going to be swinging out of you. And that can mean that no matter how much you love cuddling and sex, that it just wears you down. You don't want that much in a day. Most people don't want that much in a day. Can For you, can, people, is, there a thing, change, is there a thing that yeah. you can be, you know, touched out, over-touched and over, you know, is that a, is that a thing? I mean, it's not quite a medical term, but it is something that is more and more accepted by, uh, you know, the kind of general, I don't know, society, I think. You know, people often will recognize it straight away when the term is described. Yeah. Just this idea that you reach a threshold of being able to cope with something. You know, it's a bit like, um, you know, people's threshold for how much sleep they can bear. Some people get by fine on only having five or six hours a night for substantial periods. Some people know that they're really ratty if they get anything less than eight hours. You know, we're all going to have different thresholds for things um, and sensitivities and kind of tolerance, really. Um, And so being able to be aware of that, like you're just not going to know really before you have a kid. Um, Also, there's the fact that you might find yourself really touched out after having your first child because it's such a change from not having a child on you to that being, you know, there potentially nearly 24-7 for the first while. 
And, you know, then you might find when you have if you have a second child that even though you now have more children to be on you, that it maybe doesn't affect you as much or it could be the other way around. So the thing here is there's no one size fits all. Um, you've got to be aware of your sort of limit and how to be aware that you're coming up to that threshold so that you can communicate that to your partner. Because, you know, I would say a lot of men have no concept of this because they're they're not having the experience. Of course, there are some some men, some fathers who are, um, you know, uh, very, very involved in bringing up children. They might be mm-hmm. single parents. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that they can't experience it. It's just that it still generally falls down to to women. So what can um, be done about it so, before, you know, relationships start to suffer? We have definitely got to talk to your partner. You know, this person hasn't mentioned at all. Now, maybe this has been happening um, w- with her and her partner, but she ha- they haven't mentioned, you know, how they handle conflict with their husband. You know, most of us grow up seeing conflict as really bad or incredibly painful. So, you know, we develop strategies around conflict. We either avoid it, we people please, we let it build up and then we explode. Maybe we act passive aggressively, or maybe we learn to be, to put our own feelings and needs first at the expense of other of others. And we feel entitled to have a go at the other person whenever we feel like it. We basically just don't manage our anger. Um, you know, and the way that we are socialized in our society means that women tend to be more people pleasers, um, you know, and to kind of let it go and let it build up. And men tend to feel more entitled to to express anger. And that doesn't mean it's all men and all women. And obviously there's lots of gender diverse people who don't fit into that binary. But that is a tendency still. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, you need to work out this person hasn't said, you know, why hasn't she maybe she has said it to him and it didn't go down well and she just didn't share that in the question. But, you know, if she hasn't talked to him about it, why hasn't she? You know, is that to do with her own fears around conflict and what it means for a relationship? Is it because when she's brought things up with him in the past? that Oh, I thought you were taking a poignant pause there. You've actually just dropped out. Rachel, are you there? Oh, we'll try and get her back on the line. Warning. The following item is not recommended for little ears. Because it's time for a dose of sex therapy with Rachel Cook. Yes, we are back and Rachel is back. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Jen. She's I get back. too excited there. I don't know what happens every so often. I just get in the in the swing of it and then off I go. And off you go. It's like we have to cut you. We have to cut you <laughs> off if you get to a bit too much. Um, listen to this one. We got an email in saying, Hi, Jen and Rachel. I'm one of the 12% of people that has been diagnosed with genital herpes, a condition that doesn't affect my life in any way at all anymore. However... There is always a small risk of passing this to others. As a single woman in my 30s whose friends group are all in long-term relationships, it is getting more and more difficult to find someone to date, let alone one who accepts me having this condition. I've become an anxious attachment type with very low confidence as a result of this stress and the many, many rejections. I definitely come on too strong on the rare occasion I've been accepted and end up scaring them away. It's hard to be that open and vulnerable with someone by revealing one of my deepest secrets so early on while dating, but I would rather have the conversation and face rejection instead of deceiving someone. Good on you. How do I play... How do I play down the alarm bells that begin to ring in a guy's head once I reveal my situation and how can I better manage my feelings regarding their response? Mm, So this is a really tricky one. There's still a lot of ignorance and stigma around STIs where, you know, even though we've done a lot of work on it in Ireland and in, you know, many countries around the world, you know, they're still often seen as kind of dirty, immoral um, you know, the the idea that it's because of promiscuity and that that's a shameful thing, 
you know, rather than seeing this as a risk of any sexual contact. You know, there is no such thing as safe sex. There is only safer sex. Because even if you use condoms, which I suggest that everybody does, particularly when they're having, you know, casual sex with people, um, you know, and with new people, um, that, that, you know, that that is always a risk to some degree because condoms are not always going to stop you from, from getting certain infections. Um, you know, and I think this is a really, really kind of difficult one because, you know, many people believe in informed consent to sex, which includes uh, disclosing you know, your kind of STI status and history. Um, and then again, on the other side, the, the majority of people still don't disclose STIs, especially not one as common as herpes. And then we have the fact that a huge number of people don't even know that they have it. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, most people I know don't tend to disclose with new partners before they kiss that they um, get cold sores, you know, uh, obviously they might disclose it if they currently have, you know, an outbreak, if they're having, you know, a flare up, um, hopefully they won't be kissing anyone if they have a, a current flare up. But this is a very, very similar situation, you know, basically to everyone's endless confusion, there are two different herpes simplex viruses in, in, in people, uh, and both of which can be transmitted through skin to skin contact with someone who has the virus. And so we have HSV-1, and that can appear in both the oral and genital area. And, and the transmission occurs through, um, you know, uh, oral, anal, vaginal sex. It can happen through kissing. It can happen through vaginal birth. And then we have HSV-2, the other type, which tends to be more limited to the to the genital region, um, uh, but not but not always. And so basically, you know, while symptoms can be painful in the initial outbreak, subsequent symptoms tend to be less severe and further apart. So some people can go years without any indication of the virus in their mouth or their genitals. Um, you know, in the US, more than 50% of people under the age of 50 have HSV-1 oral herpes and about 12% have HSV-2. And we reckon it's probably roughly similar for Ireland, the UK, and, uh, you know, there's kind of varying, um, you know, research out there. But basically, it's an incredibly common thing to have, which is not to say... It's that such a common to thing to have, but isn't there... Uh, the, the vaccine, can we talk about the vaccine for a second? Uh, yeah. would that uh, Would that prevent you getting it? Um. Yes and, and no. So, you know, with vaccines, because we don't often have, you know, a long period of time to test what happens with different mutations of viruses and, you know, what the impacts are on someone. You know, I'm certainly not saying to people that they shouldn't get vaccinated, but, you know, you could get vaccinated for everything in the world. And we know, especially from the COVID vaccine that, you know, we were told in the beginning that it was, you know, close to 100 percent effective. And that turned out to not be the case. It doesn't mean that the people who told us that were lying. It just means that over time, the impact of vaccinations can change. Um, and what we know, the information that we have them can change when we have more time to study what happens with people. So, you know, you kind of have to look at the, the risks and weigh those up for yourself. Some vaccines, it's incredibly obvious that, of course, we should get them, you know, ideally probably from birth, um, you know, and for other vaccines, depending on things like going traveling to certain places. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of up to you as an individual as to whether you want to put your body through that, because, you know, some people will say that it absolutely has quite a body load. Other people will say, well, that's very much worth it when you think about the, you know, the collective of humanity and the fact that we can absolutely stamp out diseases. Um, so, you know, I would say there isn't a kind of simple answer of just get the vaccine and then everything's sorted. Definitely wear a condom. Say that again. Definitely wear a condom.
definitely, definitely wear a condom or a dental dam, um, which is, you know, the, the version of a condom. Um, well, you have, so you have kind of what used to be called femidoms, but they're basically called internal condoms rather than external, um, which is for people with, with vaginas. Um, and then you also have dental dams, which is, you know, a piece of material slash plastic, type of plastic that can go over um, someone's genitals, particularly people with vulvas, so that you can use that um, in order to kind of touch or kiss or or lick through. Okay, um, which can be another way. To Let do me just that. go back to the to this uh, this lady uh, who emailed in. Um, what can she say to potential partners? When should she say to to potential partners? And how can she manage her feelings regarding their yeah. response? Yeah, so again, I feel like I don't have a super clear answer for this person because, you know, some people really do choose not to tell casual partners and that mm-hmm. could be seen as irresponsible. And I understand people's, you know, um, opinion on that. And I would say, you know, on the whole, it's always better to disclose if it is possible and safe for you to do so. Yet it's not always possible or quite safe because you can tell that the person already, you know, potentially don't have sex with people who you already know are very, have a lot of, you know, uh, stigma and ignorance around STIs. But there's going to be lots of situations where that's just quite hard to tell beforehand. Um, you know, so many people argue that the symptoms of genital herpes are so relatively minor and widespread compared to the stigma attached to the virus, that it makes more sense not to disclose. So, you know, I would say here, you know, make sure that you're always using condoms because that is for sure, you know, the the kind of best way if you are going to have sex with people to to avoid that. Don't have sex when you're having a flare up or an outbreak, you know, Mm -hmm. if you have any kind of sore or or lesion or whatever, then definitely don't have sex at that time. Um, And you know, it's basically up to you then on an individual kind of case as to whether whether you decide. Maybe it's that, although it's probably not going to feel the greatest for me to to kind of say this because it's not it's not a super clear, straightforward answer, is that sometimes you're going to feel comfortable enough and willing to kind of bear the potential rejection. And so you're going to disclose or you just feel really strong in your you know resolve to want to disclose. And then there's going to be times where you decide not to do that. You know, often I hear about people building up so much fear and anxiety around sharing, you know, that they that they have HSV2 and the other person goes, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so all of that stress has happened, you know, for them to only find out that the other person was in that position is in that position as well. And then they don't know whether they were going to tell them anyway or not. But there you go. So I think it is it is not a one size fits all. I really believe in informed consent. And think that overall it's better to disclose, but also it does not have to be a hard and fast rule because there are lots of situations where that doesn't apply. And so we need to have a sense of kind of nuance to that, I think, because it's just a complex issue. All very good advice. Rachel Cook, thank you so much for joining us this morning. She'll be back next week. If there's anything you would like to discuss with our sex and relationship therapist, you can get in touch with the show. You can email jen at rt.ie. Good morning. Jennifer Zapparelli. Weekday morning from 9. On 2FM.